Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. The weekends, a new week begins, or is it two? Is the question today as we roll into All Star Break week? Just a handful of games this week before we all step aside for, I think, a full seven days. We have a full seven days off between basketball games, or is it only six? It doesn't matter. It's a while. Many leagues, Yahoo head-to-head leagues, combine weeks 18 and 19 into one long week. Make sure to check your league settings before you make any decisions this week on your fantasy squad because you might end up accidentally using all of your weekly moves And still have another week left at the end of it. It's happened to the best of us. It's happened to me in the past. Uh, But now I am fully aware because most of my leagues are on Yahoo and I I have a good feel for how how they play this thing out. It's also really important to look and see how different teams are scheduled. They're... Uh, it's not that you can stream better over a two-week week, but it's also possible that, one, other teams in your league might not realize that the two are combined and they might blow their moves early. And two, if you play your cards right, you can really line up the games nicely into sort of an old-fashioned long stream where, you know, if you get someone who plays close to the end before the break and then comes out and plays quickly on the other side of it, you can really maximize games and probably add... Uh, you know, we always try to target like an extra one and a half roughly games on the week with a roster move without, you know, it would be long streaming from a time standpoint, but not from like a how often teams play, if that makes any sense. So we'll get into that a little bit as we get through the week. Uh, today is not a day to be making many roster moves because today there are a ton of basketball games, and you're probably, I don't want to say definitely, but you're probably staring down the barrel of a head-to-head overload day with 11 games going, 22 out of the 32 or 30 teams playing. Sorry, thinking football. Uh, so you shouldn't really have to make significant moves today. We'll start looking at, at that stuff a little bit more starting tomorrow on the show. And people are like, Dan, what about my leagues where I have to go day before? If you're in a head-to-head league, your moves should react day of. Roto, I like day before. I like Roto day before because, you know, you're probably not trying to squeeze a play in at the last minute. You're thinking more along the lines of a games cap situation. Head-to-head, if you've got a guy that gets ruled out, especially in the playoffs, you want to be able to just kick him to the curb. Anyway, hi, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. It's Monday. It's the start of Week 18. I am your host, Dan Bespris. Still... Fighting my way through a little bit of a lingering cough. This ended up being a really raunchy cold that went through our house. We're almost, I'm personally almost two weeks into this thing, and I still have a ton of sinus pressure, and I still am coughing intermittently, and I've just come to terms with the fact that I'm just never going to be healthy again. That's fine. We'll just, we'll go through life like this. But it's also reverse chronological Lightning Round Monday. We're going to go backwards through the weekend. We'll hit on the news uh, as we discuss the different teams because there wasn't really one uh, particularly large piece of news that broke this morning. The stuff from over the weekend, largely Zion, and then also the players that we've been kind of laser-focused on since the trade deadline. To me, that's the stories, and we'll get to those as as we push our way through. Again, I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you're listening 
on one of our recorded uh, podcast feeds, whether that's Spotify or Apple or whatever. Come join us next time for the live show over at youtube.com slash sports ethos. I'm trying to get these shows going around 9 a.m. Pacific time daily where possible, and I hope to see you over there. Let's begin. Boston beat Memphis in the early game, or two early games on Sunday before the Super Bowl. Uh, Jalen Brown's still out. They assume he's out through the All-Star break, but he's kind of out there getting work done every day with a facial fracture. We haven't heard hide nor hair from Marcus Smart in heaven knows how long at this point, which means in the interim, Derek White is dunking on people. It's pretty amazing, actually, that Boston has someone of White's caliber that can kind of step up in everything else. Malcolm Brogdon also sat out this ballgame, so that meant even more for Derek White. Uh, Sam Hauser hit six more three-pointers here, and as I put in a tweet last night, I, I realize that Hauser's playing really well, but he also runs unbelievably hot and cold. He also does almost nothing besides hit three-pointers. Now, admittedly, he has 19 of them over his last four ball games. That's a lot of three balls. But he has a grand total of 17 rebounds, four assists, and two total defensive stats over those four games. So you take the good with the bad. If you wanted to stream Hauser, they go tomorrow and Wednesday. So it would be probably a pretty good three-pointer stream because they've got Detroit on Wednesday, their last game before the break. Uh, they might even rest somebody else in that one. Milwaukee should be a little bit more of a test, I would think. I don't know how many open threes he gets off in that game tomorrow, but I, I feel like if you look at those two ball games combined, you could expect at least five threes over two games total with him. Uh, and then they don't play on that last day before the break. They come out and they play on the 23rd. Boston has a pretty long layoff in there. Uh, so that's one of those plays where maybe you make one move tomorrow and you make another move on Thursday, and then you kind of try to sandwich that a little bit. But I have to admit, I'm way too, I'm way too nervous to deploy Hauser in a roto format. Uh, and when Brogdon's back, there's also a little bit of a crunch. Not, not a huge one, but a little bit. Um, and I don't know that you can expect a whole lot outside of the very large three-pointer performance. Al Horford, 16-9-5 with a block and four three-pointers. Every time you guys want to cash him out for dead, Big Al comes back and has himself a line. I just, I, I'm tired of the same defense over and over again. He's not a great head-to-head -head option. We knew he was going to sit back-to-backs this year. He's older. They're going to preserve him, especially uh, with their standings as good as they are. Uh, but he's a really nice roto play. He'll get you some threes. He'll get you some boards, get you some assists, get you a block. Never turns the ball over. That's why he's in the 70s. I expect him to hang out there mostly. I don't know why I'm spending so much time on Boston. There really isn't that much to take away from them. There's also uh, very little to take away from Memphis as well. I would just offer a word of caution on the Grizzlies' side. Uh, JJJ was in foul trouble in this game. He fouled out actually in 20 minutes. So that allowed Santi Aldama to play 28 minutes as the backup power forward. Yes, he had a better line, but no, that's not going to happen nightly. And then Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark are splitting the center minutes, and right now that means not enough for either of them. For Clark, if he could consistently get 24, I probably would take a longer look, but it hasn't been consistent, so probably leave it alone. Detroit-Toronto had some interesting angles yesterday. Uh, Hamadou Diallo at 18-7. and seven. We know enough about his fantasy game to know that eventually his free throws 
lack of three-pointers and typically kind of weirdly high turnovers will bust you in nine cat. Um, he's an interesting points league target that I'm not picking up because there's just sort of there's a body rotation thing going on in Detroit. We're kind of waiting to see what happens here with Sadiq Bay gone. The Golden State, Atlanta, Detroit, everybody, I'm forgetting one team in that deal, uh, Portland deal that is producing James Wiseman for the Pistons is going through. So uh, at some point in the in the very near future, we're going to have to deal with the Wiseman stuff in Detroit. So, no, I'm not adding Hamadou Diallo. I'm not adding Alec Burks. I'm not adding Livers either. Uh, these guys that are picking up the Sadiq Bay minutes, I'm, I just I don't care about because I, I think that it's all going to change here in the not-too-distant future because Detroit has basically said that they want to play Wiseman, and if he's getting in there at a big man spot, that's going to push Isaiah Stewart, presumably, to the bench. I can't imagine they pushed Jalen Duran to the bench. I know he turned an ankle in this one. If you're wondering about Duran's minutes in this ballgame, he just, you know, he came back and he played through it in the second half, but I do expect there to be some kind of uh, tightening for him. So Duran might miss a ball game, and then that'll really screw up our ability to handicap because if Duran's not in there and Wiseman is, and they give James like 27 minutes in his first ball game, everybody's going to go crazy for it. But here, let's do our best to kind of predict the way this is likely to go. First of all, Killian Hayes is back in the starting lineup as a low-end point guard. Same deal as always. Jaden Ivey showing growth as the year goes. That's all you want there, so just stick it out. And Boyan Bogdanovich is in there getting all the shots and kind of helping to steady the ship a little bit for the Pistons. Those guys, I think we, we have a pretty good feel for what they're going to be the rest of the way. I believe in my heart, my heart of hearts, that Jalen Duran is going to see plenty of playing time the rest of the way. He's shown himself to be, frankly, a bit of a Goliath on the glass. We're seeing more defensive stats for him lately, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and so I don't think that Wiseman is going to knock him off the horse. I am concerned that the recent slight uptick from Isaiah Stewart is going to be decimated by Wiseman. Because I don't think that the Pistons are that high on Stewart anymore as like a key building block of the future. He seems fine. But I don't think that they're like, oh, yeah, like this is a guy we have to have in our long-term plans. So he, to me, feels like a guy who might suffer a little bit at the hands of Wiseman. Although the argument against that is Stewart has stepped out and can hit a three ball now, and Duran cannot, and Wiseman is not much of a shooter. He's got a little mid-range game. Uh, so how do you play those guys together? I don't know. I just, <sighs> dumb as the Pistons have looked at times over the last few years with who they're playing and when. Uh, I can't imagine that they'd be so idiotic to stunt the growth of Jalen Durant. So then the question becomes, what do we do with James Wiseman? Well, I did some digging prior to the podcast today, and I tried to figure out any time that Wiseman saw 25 minutes or more in his time with the Golden State Warriors. And believe it or not, it wasn't often. I think it was a grand total of four basketball games where he's played 25 minutes or more. And in those games, he had some kind of interesting fantasy lines. One of them came on uh, January 14th, 2021. Yeah, I wrote these down. He had 18 points, five boards, two assists, a steal, two blocks on eight out of 13 shooting. And he actually made both of his free throws in that game, but that actually typically was not the case. The uh, game just prior to that, January 12th, 
He played 26 minutes and had only eight points, but nine boards and two blocks, four of 12 shooting, and 0 for 2 at the free throw line. Uh, did I say 25 or 26 minutes? I think I said 26, right? He had to get up to 26 minutes. Um, and then he... Where's the other one? I think he had one earlier this year in a, in a blowout loss, and he put up like 30 points in that one. That's the one that I, I forgot to write down. So then you got to go back and kind of look at the Wiseman package as a whole. What happens if he sees an uptick in minutes? I think you can pretty fairly well assume that his field goal percent is going to be a positive for your fantasy team. His free throw percent is not. He's not a good foul shooter. He's going to be in the 60s. If he's in the high 60s, which he has been in his limited run so far this year, you probably chalk that up as a win. On a tanking team, he'll probably get enough opportunity to really hurt you, actually, at the free throw line. But then what about the other stuff? So far this year, he hasn't even really been blocking shots in his limited run. He blocked some two years ago when he also played a bit for the Warriors, but even that was a little bit suspect. So my take on Wiseman, if you're going to like really pare it down to do I or don't I, is I'm not touching him in category leagues. Not with a 10-foot pole. I don't like his category league value. Uh, I think he's going to end up hurting teams more than he helps them. Is he worth a speculative add on the points league side? I think there I would say probably. Because if they do really shoehorn him 25 minutes of action, he could legitimately average like 13 to 15 points and, you know, 7 to 9 rebounds. And he might do it with good field goal percent and terrible free throws and maybe he lucks into a block and maybe he gets an assist and a half or something like that. And that's probably just barely enough to make some hay in points league. And let's say that things break in the right direction for him. Maybe he does push a little bit past that. I honestly don't know. Uh, But that's where I sit. I'm not touching him in category leagues. As far as Toronto goes, Gary Trent Jr. was out. Uh, Precious Achua actually was added to the injury report with an ankle sprain for their next ball game. Uh, I, I got the feeling that for Trent, they're just trying to give him a little bit of time off. This was a a game against a tanking Pistons team that Toronto barely eked out. That's not a great look for them, but they won the ball game, so you know, no harm done. Um, I think we probably see Trent right after the All-Star break, if I had to guess, but maybe we even get lucky and find out that he plays before then. Um, Toronto has, they have one or two games this week, just one going into the break. So uh, I, I think they probably just give him that game off, and so that buys Trent like a, almost a full two weeks without basketball. He's been really, really good lately. He is at risk of going to the bench once OG Ananobi is back. I think they'll start Trent over Achua if uh, if Jakob Pertl is going to stick in the starting lineup now, which, and Jakob looked good. He fouled out, uh, but he played 25 minutes, had six points, five boards, two steals, and three blocks. He was a plus 11. He was arguably the biggest impact guy for Toronto. And then Detroit came roaring back when the Raptors were once again unable to actually defend it all. So I, I think Pirtle's going to have a really big role for this team. I'm excited about it. Fire him up. And then uh, we'll take the rest kind of as we as we see it. Because if Achua and Trent are both out for the next ball game, I don't know who that starts. Does that start Thad Young? I don't think they'll start Chris Boucher, although he might be worth a one-game stream. Let's just kind of, again, play this one by ear a little bit. Not a head-to-head move you want to make because they only have the one ball game. But on the Roto side, if we find out everybody's out... 
then, yeah, I mean, you could pick up Chris Boucher for kind of a one-night games cap stand, so to speak. Let's go back to Saturday. More games on Saturday. Philly beat Brooklyn 101-98. This is kind of the new-look Nets in in uh, this ballgame because they did have Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges active. On the Philly side, I have to admit, I'm starting to get a little bit worried about DeAnthony Melton. I wasn't before, but now they've got Jalen McDaniels who soaked up 16 minutes, so they just have more options if they want to go a little bigger, if they want to go a little bit smaller. Uh, McDaniels' acquisition is probably not good for Melton. And he had maybe his worst game of the whole year in this one. I'm going to give DeAnthony another week. Every time this happens to him, it takes him a week to figure out where he belongs, and then he starts to play better again. But uh, the margin for error got really small now. So I'm not dropping him. I know this is like the ultimate in droppable performances. One rebound, and I'm 0 for 3. Uh, but in my opinion, you hold on for just a little bit longer, unless you're in your playoffs already, at which point then it's like, fine, I get it. You can't sit on a guy who might not do anything for a week, but we need to see how it shakes out. Over on the net side, I thought Ben Simmons would play a little bit more, uh, but he's he's just not right, and I don't think he ever will be again. So you could probably drop him. You could probably drop Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal. I know Dorian played 34 minutes, but I don't think he's going to be all that heavily involved in what the team's doing on offense. Uh, Royce O'Neal moved to the bench as kind of like the backup Dorian Finney-Smith. Joe Harris hit six three-pointers, but did nothing else off the bench, so not interested there. Uh, Dinwiddie played 31 minutes, just didn't have a great shooting game. He's a start. Cam Johnson looked really good in his 28 minutes. He's a start. Mikael Bridges, obviously, we knew he was a start, and so is Nick Claxton. Denver beat Charlotte on the road. Denver was able to give uh, Jamal Murray a little more time off here. They knew this wasn't going to be a hyper-competitive ballgame. Uh, so Bruce Brown slid into the starting five. Aaron Gordon also took this one off, so Vlatko Kanchar uh, got the start. He's actually put up decent numbers when he's gotten starting minutes, Kanchar has. Uh, but again, you're you know rolling the dice a little bit there. Christian Braun had a nice game off the bench with four steals, but you know he'll play more now that Bones is gone, but you, you likely need a couple guys out, which is what happened in this one. Um, again, you're mostly looking at Bruce Brown when the Nuggets decide they need to sit somebody. Dennis Smith Jr. had a nice game over on the Charlotte side. I, you know, Maybe this is a byproduct of Jalen McDaniels being gone um, and that it's going to force Charlotte to play a little bit smaller. I would keep one very watchful eye on Dennis Smith Jr. At least until Kelly Oubre comes back, which I do think he does. Gordon Hayward, he's been a little bit better lately. Um, you know, I picked on Hayward all season long because he has been quite terrible this year. He's number 184. 184 in nine cat on the season. Uh, he has been better than that the last month. He's number 127 over that stretch. His percentages have improved, but the other stuff hasn't really. Uh, last two weeks, he's back down to number 175. I just don't think it's worth it. I, Hayward just has been terrible this year. I keep getting asked, should I hold on to Gordon Hayward? I'm like, have you not listened to a single show I've done this year? Cut ties with Hayward in November, and I have not looked back. But the big story in this one is Mark Williams, who got himself into foul trouble in the first half. He only played, I think, six minutes before halftime, picked up three fouls in six minutes. 
Uh, and then he played 15 minutes in the second half, which is what you're looking for. So they really do have like a 14, 15 minute target for him in each half, which makes him a must roster player. And I do wonder if there might even be an opportunity to buy low on Mark after a foul trouble game that doesn't really look like one because he only picked up one foul in the second half in those 15 minutes. So it's like, oh, well, he only had four fouls, but you kind of had to know how he got there. Try to get him if you can. Probably can't, but try. Washington beat Indiana. Uh, the spiral continues for the Pacers, even with Halliburton back. They just haven't been able to get back on the right side of things. They've lost four games in a row. They're now down to 25 and 33. They're now two games out of a play-in spot. The reason I bring this up is it feels like at some point, maybe not yet, there's still two months left in the season, friends, but at some point... If the Pacers don't make a furious run, they're going to start looking at youth a little bit. Miles Turner is questionable with lower back soreness for their next ball game. That would make Isaiah Jackson a very interesting pickup. They play tonight. They host the Jazz. Uh, you know, it's not a move that you can make until you know for sure because we know how little Jackson actually gets to play uh, <laughs> when, when Miles is in there. But we also saw how good he looked when Miles wasn't. Halliburton is also questionable with a left thigh contusion. Does that thrust TJ McConnell back on the board for a one-night stand? Keep a really close watchful eye on the Pacers in case they start to pivot in a different direction. We want to be in front of that one because there are some really interesting pickups if they make the move, which hasn't happened yet, but you got to start to pay attention to it. Daniel Gafford, four more blocks. Love me some Daniel Gafford. Uh, we still don't know if his minutes are going to hold their 29-30 when Kyle Kuzma's back. I'm inclined to think that they probably come down just a, a littlest bit. Uh, but damn, if he doesn't put up good fantasy numbers in full starters minutes. Monte Morris was better here, but we know how he kind of comes and goes. Denny Avdia, uh, he's on a really good shooting heater at the moment, Avdia is. I, I do worry a bit about what his fantasy lines are going to look like when the shot cools off, which is why I've remained somewhat reticent on Denny. I think you can play him as long as he's hot, but just know that at some point it's going to run out and it's going to happen in a game where you had him in your lineup. So just hope you can kind of catch it early when the cold spell comes because it will. I mean, these guys, he's not going to shoot 80% for the year. Gafford might, but these other dudes that, you know, actually have to shoot from outside of two feet. It's a little bit of a different beast. Miami beat Orlando 107-103 in overtime. Yeah, kind of a gross basketball game. Caleb Martin played well, uh, but he's more of a schedule stream kind of play. Uh, Gabe Vincent looked good again. I think he also, right now at least, sits more in the schedule stream department, although I think we got a report that Tyler Hero is, is doubtful. Not even questionable. He's downgraded to doubtful. Uh, yeah, that was about an hour ago that came out. So Hero's doubtful, and Lowry's out. This might be your moment if you want to get Gabe Vincent in there. Or hell, Caleb Martin probably gets a, a boost there. Max Struess probably does enough to get himself a little bit of game action. You need one of the big usage guys out. Hero's one of the big usage guys. So take him out of the mix and his 23 shots he took in this ballgame, and someone, everybody's probably going to get two or three more. The main guys. And that's enough to get Vincent up and over the hump. He'll also have more point guard duties with Harrow out. Tyler's not like a distributor by trade, but 
with the ball in his hand all that time. You just move it into somebody else's hands. You guys get it. Anyway, over to the Orlando side. Um, you know, Mo Wagner strikes me as kind of an interesting schedule stream type of guy probably the rest of the way. Uh, unless, you know, we see Bull Bull come back into the mix, but I don't think that's happening. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, he's being brought along extremely slowly, although he did get up to 14 minutes in this ballgame, so that was something. That's very much his season high for Jonathan, but we're not doing anything with him until he gets up near 20. Uh, Jalen Suggs has been putting up some obscene defensive numbers lately, and he's cut into Cole Anthony's playing time. That is something to keep a watch on, because uh, Cole Anthony had actually been playing relatively well lately. I've been kind of hard on him on the podcast. I know I'm probably needlessly hard on Cole, uh, but now maybe we should be a little more hard on him if Suggs is going to go take his playing time. I'm not adding Jalen Suggs. I, you know, if you did, you're probably just hoping he gets you a bunch of defensive stats because everything else is a little bit on the gravy side. He doesn't typically shoot the three ball. He, three of them in this ball game. Go figure. He's a bad foul shooter. Um, it's just too dangerous, man. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. Josh Hart's Knicks debut, he played 26 brilliant minutes, actually. He was fantastic for New York. Uh, 11.7 boards, 4 assists, 4 steals. He and his old pal Jalen Brunson, they were they look good. Quentin Grimes still started this ballgame, but he was terrible. Uh, he's obviously a drop. I don't know that you all need to be told that. And I would assume... That I mean, you might see Josh Hart in the starting lineup as soon as the Knicks' next basketball game, so he's very much a go. I think Hart's arrival also hurts Emmanuel quickly, who did have 15-5 and five in this one, but he shot 6 of 9. Typically, he's not going to make 6 out of 9 shots, and the fact that he only got 9 shots and 23 minutes, to me, is reason to say he's probably not going to belong on roster for anything more than a schedule stream going forward. Isaiah Hartenstein... Hartenstein, excuse me, Jericho Sims, they split the center minutes. They both rebounded a bunch and didn't do anything else. I think you can probably leave those guys alone. On the Utah side, Kelly Olynyk is someone I've been trying to ram down your throats. He had foul trouble here, and that does happen to him from time to time. But he still managed 26 minutes, 11-3 and three with a steal and a three-pointer on good percentages. He's a hold. Colin Sexton, terrible shooting game, missed a bunch of free throws. Uh, but he's also a hold because he's going to do a ton. And Sexton actually fouled out in 30 minutes here. So uh, weird little one-day opening if you wanted to try to get your hands on Sexton or Olenek. And people have come to me and they're like, Dan, my trade deadline passed when the NBA trade deadline passed. And mine didn't. So sorry. Uh, in all the leagues I run, I push the trade deadline as far down the board as humanly possible. This is one of those times. So I think if you can go get Olenek or Sexton, I would try to do it. And then also take a long, hard look at Taylor Horton Tucker. He has a super weird fantasy game. Typically doesn't hit three-pointers. He did make one here. Uh, the not-a-good-foul shooter um, does get some steals, doesn't typically block shots. He has kind of a, almost a backwards, like he's a point guard stuff. They're going to need him to run some point with them trading away uh, other point guards. But the assists are, I think, what makes THT somewhat intriguing right now. I don't think you're going to be beating yourself up if you miss out on this particular ad because his fantasy game is super weird and wonky and, like, the low percentages and low three-pointers... 
are probably going to counterweight the assists in a way that that drops him outside the top 100. He does make a lot of sense in points formats because you don't need all of those things to work out well. You just need him to be pretty good in a couple of stuff, and I think he might be pretty good in a couple of things going forward. Uh, I liked that he got to do a lot in this ballgame. So THT... If you are punting threes, he's interesting. If you are punting threes and percentages, he's very interesting. Uh, and if you are attacking all nine categories, he's not. Atlanta beat the tanking San Antonio Spurs, 125-106. Jeremy Sohan looked good. He's probably worth a roster spot right now. Trey Jones played, but he's going to sit out there next one with foot soreness. Keldon Johnson played. I mean, you're going to see Spurs taking time off all the time going forward, so that's going to be kind of an annoying team to roster players on. Hopefully they largely play and just, you know, kind of stagger or diminish minutes a little bit. But we do have some things we need to talk about on San Antonio. Uh, Not much to talk about on the Hawks side, so, you know, luckily we can just blitz through that. John Collins, uh, questionable for their next one, but I think he plays better now that the trade deadline is passed, whatever that's worth. Um, and they've got Sadiq Bey coming in, so he's not an ad, but he'll put a little bit of a squeeze on everybody. And then Onyeka Okongwu, who had actually been playing pretty well, even in his backup role lately, didn't do much in this ballgame. And that's the fear with a backup role, is every once in a while you're going to have a game where if you're not cooking, uh, line will turn ugly pretty quick. So Okongwu, I don't know that he's a must-roster player, in a lot of formats, a head-to-head to me, he actually makes more sense because Roto, you're going to get a game like this and you're going to go, ah, oh, why did I use this on my games cap? Um, but he's probably a hold overall. You can't punt on him after one slightly bad ball game. Stanley Johnson got waived by the Spurs after this one, so that opens up a couple more minutes for other guys, and this is, to me, how you have to play it. Keldon Johnson needs to remain on rosters. Trey Jones needs to remain on rosters. I think Jeremy Sohan probably belongs on rosters. Zach Collins probably belongs on rosters. And then you get into the maybes. Malachi Branham is a maybe. He doesn't do much besides points, boards, and assists. So again, profiles much more as a points league type of target. If you guys are hearing me on this one, he's a guy that probably will hurt you more than he helps on the nine category side. So, do with that what you will. Devontae Graham, also someone that is probably going to creep into different fantasy discussions. Here, with everybody largely playing for the Spurs, but somewhat lower minutes, Graham had a decent fantasy line. I don't know where the two blocks came from, but he's going to be out there and he's going to go gunning. Because this team has nothing to play for, and so he can just get wild. You saw he put up 31 in the previous game when they rested a bunch of their younger guys. I think Devontae Graham actually makes a ton of sense on the head-to-head side because I don't know that they're going to rest him in games. They might just say, whatever, dude, like, go have some fun. Go have some fun. We'll try to move you next year or offseason or whatever, uh, but live it up, man. Like, we're trying to lose ball games. We don't care what you do. Roto, I'd be way, way worried to play Devontae in a game where they weren't sitting a bunch of guys out. But, like, look, we already know Trey Jones is out for their next ball game. Um... That might be enough to get Devontae into the starting lineup. Kata Bates Jop, probably the guy who ends up starting, but you never know. And then you got to figure Graham sees a couple extra of those guard minutes. 
So if Jones sits, would I start Devontae? I might want to see it one more time. But look, we're going to have more opportunities to play these guys. The Spurs are going to sit their regulars, not infrequently. Uh, so even if you want to get a little more data for your file on Devontae, he's interesting. Spot start in Roto and probably just a play in a lot of head-to-head formats. All right, let's keep shuffling along. Cleveland beat Chicago 97-89. Oof, barn burner. Patrick Williams looked good, but he's been on and off the radar so many times so far this year that I can't make any moves really with Chicago, and I can't make any moves with Cleveland either. Move along. This is really a nothing-to-see-here game. I guess we could point out that Evan Mobley's uh, made some nice strides over the course of the year. Lakers beat the Warriors uh, without LeBron James, but with the new guys settling in. Uh, And to no one's surprise, D'Angelo Russell made the Lakers better. Like, if you didn't see that coming, it was one of the most obvious fit decisions that I think I've ever seen in watching the NBA. Russell Westbrook was just a terrible fit for the Lakers. You know, the funny thing is, Russ actually made more sense on the last year iteration of the Lakers, which they had a bunch of shooters, but had no one that could play any defense. So if Russ would have taken that bench role last year and had, you know, Malik Monk around him and whoever else was actually knocking down shots last season, probably made more sense offensively. This year, it's like Russ and a bunch of non-floor spacers, so everybody just crashing into the paint and turning the basketball over. And now, suddenly... You have D'Lo, who can shoot. You have Beasley, who typically can shoot, but not in this ball game. You got Lonnie Walker, who can still shoot, who was already there. Uh, Schroeder has had some issues with the jump shot, but offensively, he's okay. Rui, here's the thing. like You don't need all everyone to be a floor spacer now that your primary ball handler, not named LeBron James, can also shoot. Jared Vanderbilt looked really good in 17 minutes, 12, 8, and 4. Um, all right, so here's the thing with Vanderbilt. I, I did add him speculatively in a couple of spots. I don't think there's enough playing time consistently for him. He provides something the Lakers badly need, which is toughness. Lakers had no toughness. Now they have a little bit of toughness. They're just getting clobbered on the glass. Nobody puts a body on anyone on that team. So there are going to be games where the Lakers realize they need someone to just go out there and clobber somebody. Go put a body on someone. Go get a rebound. uh, Go play some defense. And actually, Vanderbilt showed a a pretty good knack for passing out of the short roll in this ballgame. So um, do I think he's going to be inside the top 100 rest of season? No. But do I think there's going to be a a pretty consistent schedule streamy kind of role for him? Yeah, I do. Um... You're not going to get this much out of Rui when LeBron is back. you got to look at the guys that took more shots in this game and understand how that gets impacted by LeBron. Rui, to me, Schroeder, those are the two guys who got a bunch of looks in this game, and that number shrinks precipitously when LeBron is back in the mix. This game didn't have the world's fastest pace, but also the teams just shot really poorly, so it's kind of a weird combination of things. Anthony Davis always struggles against Draymond Green, But I'll also admit, he doesn't really look fully healthy to me. That makes me very nervous on the AD front. He's probable, and he's going to try to play through whatever, but 
I'm a little bit worried there. As far as fantasy stuff goes, LeBron, AD, and D'Lo, I think, are the only guys that I believe are must-roster right now. And then Vanderbilt is kind of your upside stash in case he ends up playing more. But with all the pickups that came out over the last week, I don't know that any of us have a roster space for someone to just kind of sit on. Long explanation to just say stick with the stars. Uh, Andrew Wiggins turned an ankle in this one. Um, he had been playing a little bit better prior to it, but obviously if he misses time, then DiVincenzo gets ramped up a little bit. Um, you'll just have more Jordan Poole, which I don't know if that's what the Warriors want necessarily, but um, to me, DiVincenzo is the guy who moves from kind of one side of the cut line to the other. Sacramento beat Dallas in overtime. De'Aaron Fox went crazy. I think he had 26 points in fourth quarter in overtime. That's wild. No Malik Monk on the Kings side, so Terrence Davis stepped into that bench heater kind of role, and there's just no chance you can trust him to do that every single night. So no fantasy adjustments on the Kings side. Dallas, first look at Luka and Kyrie together. It's a perfect time to fade a team. Superstars playing together for a first ball game is like prototypical fade. They play pretty well. I'll give the Mavs that, and some of it was the fact that they just knocked down every three-pointer. So, um, yeah, the Kings defense is a good way to kind of drop some dudes in to play together. But I think you're going to see a little bit of disjointing when Dallas has to play a team that has any cohesion on defense whatsoever. I don't know that Minnesota necessarily qualifies as that team. That's who they're playing tonight. But almost every team in the NBA is a little better defensively than the Kings. I know Sacramento did a better job late in this ball game. They slowed Dallas down a little bit late, but also like the Mavs had already piled up stats before that point. So what does this all mean fantasy wise? That's what you guys care about. Uh, and then we're going to, uh, we got, we'll do the, like who didn't play over the weekend game. Fantasy wise, Kyrie is probably going to put up numbers pretty similar to what he did playing alongside Kevin Durant. He's already been, a uh, 1B to a Kevin Durant, to a Harden for stretches, to LeBron if you go back farther. This isn't going to be a new world for Irving. This is a very new world for Luka Doncic. He's never had a true ball-handling alpha number two on his team. And I would venture to say that we, th we see Luka take a substantial hit which from a fantasy standpoint is not what you want to hear. He's number 13 per game on the season. Uh, but maybe the thing to really pay attention to is that he's been much worse than that lately. Remember, Luka got off to a very hot start. He's down near the edge of the top 100 over the last three weeks. Um, a lot of that is terrible free throw shooting, yes. Um, but you know, assists have been lower for Luka over the last little bit. And that probably does trend down with Kyrie in town. He only had five assists in this ballgame. He's probably not going to be a 30-10-10 guy with someone else to do something. Ultimately, this is going to be good for Luka. He probably misses fewer ball games, and the Mavs get better. But fantasy-wise, in the short term, it's not good for Luka. Uh, Josh Green had 23 points on five three-pointers. I, I want you guys to do a little experiment with me and not look at the points and threes for Green. 40 minutes, five boards, one assist, one steal. 
let's say, hypothetically, he didn't make 8 out of 12 shots. Let's assume that over some stretch of time, Josh Green equilibrates and levels back off to whatever his field goal percent will be uh, when his career uh, you know, career mark, which for him is actually 52%, which is pretty good. He's actually a good field goal percent guy. He takes high percentage shots. Um, and even his three-pointers is shooting 43% from downtown. This dude is ripe for a mean reversion in the wrong direction. And as much as I enjoy the uh the the Josh Green stuff like he's a pretty fun young basketball player we are seeing the best iteration of Josh fantasy wise that we'll probably see the rest of the way he in my estimation is a sell high i think he does settle into like extreme back end value you know 100 to 130 range is probably where he settles uh but this level of you know Trey Murphy esque efficiency probably won't stick and you also had an overtime game too so you know five extra minutes for everybody of relevance getting a lot of questions on christian wood also and they are reasonable uh you know wood is being brought along really slowly right now and i have to admit i'm i'm pretty floored i mean i know this is the back end of a back-to-back so like you could try to chalk it up to that but he's since he's come back uh, from his his busted hand, he's played 19, 17, 12, and 18 minutes. They don't need his offense as much now that Kyrie's in town, so perhaps that's part of it. But I have to think that for Wood, his minutes do trend back up into the mid-20s at some point. But they are kind of liking what Dwight Powell's bringing on defense right now, and so it's not a guarantee. This is not, I'll admit, this is not how I thought the Christian Wood story was going to develop this year. Uh, so it, I think it would be disingenuous for me to try to take credit for saying he was a super-duper sell-high when he was going crazy because I thought he was just going to sort of, like, settle back. You know, we knew the blocks were going to kind of revert back to the mean and other stuff like that because there was that stretch there where he was averaging, like, three blocks a ball game. Uh and we knew the free throw percent was going to come back down towards the career mark. So for me, I thought he was just going to be a mean reversion, and he was going to fall back into that kind of like 50 to 70 range. Remember, I kept saying, if you can get top 50 or better, do it, do it, do it. And people were like, Dan, you're not aiming high enough. You're being a, a jerk to Christian Wood. Um, and perhaps I was, but now we've got this weird stuff going on. So weird happened somehow. Uh, not the way I expected, but here we are. And now you stuck with him. Or do you buy low on Christian Wood? I don't know if I have the stones for it, but if you could get him for a top 100, you can't get him for top 100. Who am I kidding? That's baloney. Can't be done. And as we peer back towards Friday, provided the internet works quickly and we can get there, who didn't play over the weekend? Phoenix didn't play over the weekend, uh, but they should have TJ Warren for their next ball game. Interestingly, Cam Payne, Landry Shamit, and Darius Baisley are all questionable for this next one. So another reason to temper your expectations on Josh Okogie, 
who probably does still play a reasonable amount, but you're going to see TJ Warren cut into his minutes and Torrey Craig's minutes. If you if Shamit plays, he'll get a little bit on that wing, more shooting guard than anything else. Uh, Baisley is a front court option for them. So I am going to pass on all of that stuff. Anybody else that didn't go over the weekend? Quickly, kind of bleep blooping my way through this board here. I believe Houston didn't go over the weekend. And I got to say, I'm a little sad. Tari Eason still at 19 minutes. We kind of knew that was going to happen when they didn't move a forward at the trade deadline. We needed them to move Jay Sean Tate or KJ Martin, and neither one of those guys got shipped out. So they now stand in the way of Tari Eason seeing big minutes the rest of this year. I think if you're in a redraft league, you can probably move on from Eason unless you wanted to give him a week or something like that. But he actually played relatively well in this game, and the units he was a part of were winning for Houston in this game, and still he got yanked at only 19 minutes. So I don't think it's going to happen now. Again, he was a stash. We needed two guys to move, and they didn't. Just one. Eric Gordon was the only key guy that got shipped out from the Rockets, so then everybody else is still floating around, and this is without Kevin Porter Jr. back in the mix. So... Uh, even that changes the calculus a little bit. Does K.J. Martin continue to start when Porter Jr. comes back? I think probably you likely see Tate move back to the bench. Uh, K.J. Martin's been really good lately. Shoot, The shot's been very good. Uh, he's been making his free throws more often over this last little stretch, and he's had some defensive stats lately. To me, K.J. Martin makes a ton of sense as a points league option the rest of the way. Uh, category league side, you probably just play him while he's on a heater and kind of re read and react on that side because the defensive stats are not going to stick around forever. We know that um, maybe the blocks are a little higher than they were early in the season, but he's not a big steals guy. And then uh, we know the free throw percent is going to come back down too. Minnesota didn't go over the weekend. Uh, what do we got here? Slow-mo, 30 minutes, he looked good. Uh, he's questionable with groin soreness now. Damn shame. We should get that dude into more ball games. Uh, Mike Conley's first game with the Wolves was a little bit of a disappointment. Nine points, three assists, and a couple of steals. He's just going to get better every ball game, so don't panic on Conley. I really like his outlook, actually, with this team. Um, I think, ultimately, once he settles in, you're going to see pretty good usage for him. This was a blowout, so uh, other than Anthony Edwards, who played 39 minutes for reasons I totally don't understand uh this game was over pretty early so expect bigger minute counts for let's hope kyle anderson if he plays for mike conley uh and then you know Jaden mcdaniels we've talked about plenty as a guy who just sits right on the fringe of fantasy relevance uh typically a guy, you know, head to head again i think he's a guy you can just play the rest of the year uh and then roto to me it might be even too hard to deploy pelicans well, there's a bunch of teams that didn't go Friday or Saturday or Sunday, huh? Um, Pelicans, Thunder, Blazers, Bucks, and Clippers. Yeesh. We got a lot left to do here, don't we? Uh, there's the Pellies. CJ McCollum is questionable with an ankle sprain. If he doesn't go, you'll see a lot of Jose Alvarado. He would make sense as a brief fill-in play. Brandon Ingram's looked really good again lately. I know that they lost that ballgame to the Cavs, but uh, Ingram's looked nice. Herb Jones has been playable. Trey Murphy's been playable. JV hasn't really been playable lately. We talked about that actually during our pre-show today on YouTube. Valanchunas, I hate to say it, he might be droppable. I don't see how he gets inside the top 120 splitting minutes with Nance. 
Zion suffered a setback in his rehab from his uh, his blown hamstring, so um, that means that guys like Ingram and uh, McCollum and Murphy and whatever, these guys are going to continue to get extra shots because we just don't really know when Zion's coming back. Uh, but again, I think they, you know, Jones, you can hold. Trey, you can hold. And then Alvarado's a guy you're looking at if, uh, if CJ doesn't go. OKC, okay, we'll probably get our first look at Dario Sharich. Sounds like Jeremiah Robinson Earl might also be back for the Thunder in their next ballgame. I think Jalen Williams, I feel comfortable saying he's looked good enough here to where he'll continue to hold on to a very large role. What I don't know is you know, someone like a Jalen Williams, who'd been coming on a little bit lately, or a Kenrich Williams, who'd been coming on a little bit lately. Those guys, to me, probably maybe almost completely vanish because Sharich will pick up Muscala's minutes. Robinson Earl was playing 20-some-odd minutes before he went down uh, and was quite close, actually, to fantasy value. So does he then kind of push his way back into that center role? We'll see. We'll see. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do any ads on OKC yet, but I would consider uh, dropping any of those non-core guys, which is basically Giddy, Shea, and Jay Len Williams. Uh, those are the three dudes you can hang on to. On the Portland side, Jeremy Grant was concussed. He is questionable for their next ball game, which is tonight against the Lakers. Um, we got the Cam Reddish Portland debut here, and he looked okay, but he only played 17 and a half minutes, so I don't think he... Uh, I mean, we said it on Friday's show. Reddish is not the guy they wanted in their deadline moves. Matisse Thybul is the guy they wanted. He's a guy I'm really curious about, because he could actually give LeBron fits tonight if Bron plays. Uh... Does Dybul end up with full starters minutes on this team? Because if so, you probably end up having to add him as, I mean, starters minutes, Matisse Dybul is a three to four defensive stat guy. And then anything else, you're just like, okay, well, that's gravy. Drew Eubanks was better in this one. He played 29 minutes. Uh, again, as guys come back, I don't know what that does to him. But uh, Trenton Watford, he outplayed Watford. Trenton had five fouls in his 16 minutes. Eubanks rem remains a low end center play, and uh, Shaden Sharp had 29 minutes in this ballgame, but again, these are guys that are all kind of fighting for small forward minutes. If they all end up with Thibault, okay, but if those guys, those dudes are rotating between them, I mean, that's a pretty different monster. For the Bucks, I don't have a whole lot to add there. Um, Middleton sat this one out because it was the back end of a back-to-back. -back. We'll probably see some Jay Crowder here soon for Milwaukee once he gets his conditioning right, and all that does really is it sort of puts any lid on a Connaughton stream, but, you know, that's a big fat. Who cares? Clippers, uh, we'll get to see Mason Plumley make his Clippers debut. That will probably eliminate Evita Zubats from the fantasy discussion. Uh, I don't know how much Bones or Eric Gordon is going to play for the Clippers. I'm doubting it's enough to put them on fantasy radars, but I suppose you don't really ever know until the dust fully settles. Um, for LA right now, Obviously, Paul George and Kawhi when they're in there. Norman Powell has continued to do enough to hit fantasy value, and that's probably as far as it ends up going uh, once Plumlee is in there and carving out a role. All right, let's take a look at the big Monday card. I want to get this thing wrapped up. This is turning out to be a painfully long episode. Sorry, everybody. I didn't know I was going to keep you here that long, but whatever. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Lots of stuff tonight, but we're lightning rounding it. All right, ready?
Atlanta, Sadiq Bey's debut. Charlotte, does Dennis Smith Jr. continue to get to do more? And then, of course, Mark Williams uh, against a team that doesn't have a true attacking center on the other side. San Antonio, who the hell plays? Is the question for them going into every ball game? And then can we squeeze out a one-night stand? Cleveland, nothing. Houston, nothing really at this point. I think, you know, now that they've made their moves, we sort of have a feel for it. Philly, uh, what is DeAnthony Melton going to do going forward? Utah, I think we have a good feel for Utah. So I don't know if there's anything I'm watching all that closely because, like, a good game or a bad game out of Olenek or Colin Sexton is not going to change the way I feel. Maybe throw T- Taylor Norton Tucker on the watch list for Utah, seeing how he develops. Does Indy rest their star guys? Does Miles Turner sit? Does Halliburton sit? Would there be a one-night stand available for us there? Brooklyn. Um, I guess Cam Thomas. I didn't talk about him on the recap. What is his role going forward? Does he end up as a drop? Might It kind of looked like it after that last one. Uh, does Do we ever see any adjustment for Ben Simmons? The Knicks. Is Josh Hart in the starting lineup? Probably. Denver. Who plays? Who's healthy? Are they? Do they have all five starters back, or is anybody resting? Because then you get Bruce Brown. Uh, Miami, if Hero sits, we know Lowry's out. Gabe Vincent would be a play. Strews probably a play. Caleb Martin might even be a play there as well. Orlando, we're tracking Jonathan Isaac's minutes. Uh, not a whole lot else there. I guess you could throw Mo Wagner on the list, but I don't think he's going to be more than a schedule stream. Chicago, nothing. New Orleans, whether CJ's in or not is probably your health question with that team, but everything else I think we feel pretty good about at this point. OKC, uh, what does Robinson Earl look like? Uh, and there'll, there'll be a ramp up because he's been out for a really long time, so you're not going to get any definitive info here on this first game back for him. But it might give us info on whether or not any of the guys that we've been sort of willing to schedule stream, do they lose that spot? For Minnesota, Mike Conley's second ball game does slow mo play. Dallas, Luca, Kyrie together, and then Josh Green's insane shooting here lately. Also, Christian Woods minutes. Lakers, does LeBron play with the new guys? And then, obviously, the new guys. Portland, Matisse Dibel. That's the real question for me. Washington, Daniel Gafford, what does he do? I actually didn't see a report on Kyle Kuzma before going on air with this one. Um, yeah, I don't know what the deal is with Kuzma right now. I'm going to go ahead and call him questionable for this one. But if he plays, you're tracking Gafford's minutes there. Uh, and then Denny Avdia as well. And then the Golden State Warriors. If Wiggins sits, you probably can get some Dante DiVincenzo. But I'm actually more curious in what Dante does when the Warriors are fully healthy. I am tired. My voice is tired. I'm trying to get this thing back to going right. So a super long podcast might not be the way to go. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, to my recorded listeners, as always, big fat thank you. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, and please take a moment to rate and review the podcast over on Apple or Spotify, and we'll have a slightly shorter one, I think, for you tomorrow. But who knows? we got to recap 11 games tomorrow. The hell do I know? Join us on YouTube next time, folks. We'll see you tomorrow.